I'm Stefan Siddig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. My guest today is Marsha Milgram Dodge, a Tony Award-nominated director, choreographer, and writer whose work has been seen throughout the U.S., as well as in Canada, England, Asia, Denmark, and the Middle East, on Broadway, off-Broadway, and at acclaimed regional theaters such as the New York City Opera, the Kennedy Center, Arena Stage, Goodman Theater, Denver Center Theater Company, Glimmerglass Festival, La Jolla Playhouse, Pittsburgh Public Theater, and many, many more. She received the Tony Award nomination for directing for the 2009 revival of Ragtime on Broadway and is one of just a handful of women who have climbed the ranks as successful and commercially viable theater director choreographers. She is currently directing a new revival of Disney's Beauty and the Beast that, as she puts it, really challenges each of us to look around the room with an equitable lens in which all races, ethnicities, body shapes, and abilities can be identified and celebrated. Hi, Marsha. Hi, Stefan. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for agreeing to being on American Theatre Artists Online and our podcast. We're very happy to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, we don't get to talk to director-choreographers that often, and you are one that has been working a long time, for decades really, uh, directing, choreographing Uh musicals all over the world, on Broadway, off-Broadway, across the United States. I get tired just uh, listening to you. I know, it's exactly... (laughs) <laughs> it's exhausting. It's, I'm exhausted just with you telling, staying at all. I okay. know, but it's so exciting. But let, let, let's talk a bit about, um, uh, you know, in all this time and everything that you've done so far in your career, which has been a lengthy and very successful, I might add, one, I think. Um, if you had to encapsulate, let's just jump right in. Briefly, what is it that you, Marsha Milgram Dodge, bring to a project that is unique to the profession, what would that be? What do you think you tell like producers if you want to make them hire you, or, or what is your artistic aesthetic, or one of the if you have that, or if you think that way? How, what is a Marsha Milgram Dodge production like? Well, I have to admit that I sort of swiped this little phrase that I heard recently because I thought it applied to exactly what I do. I was watching. Um, Don Cheadle talk about making movies with Steven Soderbergh. Mm. And it was a recent movie that they made. It was set in Detroit. My husband and I are both from Detroit, so we love everything that's, you know, located there looking around at the environment. And he said it's a caper film, but that Soderbergh uh, likes to smuggle in some deeper meaning. And And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what I love to do. I love to take a classic story and smuggle in some deeper meaning that leads us to uncovering 
contemporary truths beneath the surface. So you're and a, so, so you're a yeah, smuggler. So I'm a smuggler. You're like yeah, Han, you're like the Han Solo of musical theater. <laughs> um, and I I don't I don't do replicas of mm. shows. If somebody invites me to do a project that has had a life before, mm-hmm. uh, a classic or a recent play that had a life somewhere else, or a musical, I do not want to replicate somebody else's physical production and approach to the material. I want to go in there and read it as if it was written just at that moment in time, and I wrestle with it. I try to dig underneath. I try to um, find context for the particular audiences that I'm making theater for. You know, as a regional director, I was once called an itinerant director, and I got very sort of defensive about it, and then I looked it up, you know, which is sort of the story of my life. If I don't understand anything, I I used to walk around with a thesaurus and a dictionary. Um, Now I just Google it, right? (laughs) So I looked it up to really try to understand what the definition really meant. And I thought, you know, I do move around from place to place. Mm -hmm. And and that is, you know, part of the definition. And I do make theater for different communities. Mm -hmm. So it would be irresponsible of me not to try to make the project meaningful to that particular audience. And I learned that a long time ago when I started out as a choreographer and I was working in the DMV area. I was at Baltimore Center Stage when Stan Wojewodski was the artistic director. Hmm. And I learned that from him because he, 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 he invited me to a, um, a brown bag lunch pre-show gathering with some of the patrons. Hmm. And I don't remember what the situation was, if they were subscribers or they were single ticket buyers. It didn't really matter. But this was a little lunch with the artistic director. And he said, join me. I was choreographing She Loves Me. Hmm. Um, And um, I sat with him and we ate lunch. And somebody asked, how come you bring all these people from New York to Baltimore? And he said, I want... I, he said, I go everywhere. I cast locally. I cast out of New York, Los Angeles. I find the best talent to bring to you so that I can give you the best show possible. And it, it just so happens that New York seems to be, you know, sort of a place where all of us vagabonds and freelancers, you know, sort of congregate. Mm-hmm. So he said, but my goal is to make the best show for you here in Baltimore. And it was, you know, it was a simple statement and it was meaningful and heartfelt and it stuck with me. Mm. And so as I, you know, travel around the country making shows in St. Louis and suburban Chicago and Jupiter, Florida and Cleveland, Ohio, wherever I am, I want to know who I'm making theater for. Mm. And I want to make sure that my show speaks to them. And as I was looking at your work and everything that you have done and the vast, it is really sort of like a trip through America, um, as well as all your international credits, because you've worked in Canada, England, Asia, Denmark, Middle East. But if we're just talking about the U.S. right now, You've done, it's like a map. It's like an itinerary of sorts. Talk about the itinerant director. It's like an itinerary, like a, you know, of of travel of the U.S. I was looking at it going, Uh wow, look at all these things she's seen. Look at all these places she's worked. And they are all so different from Arena Stage to the Kennedy Center, but also Goodman Theater, Denver Center Theater, Glimmerglass, La Jolla on the other, you know, Pittsburgh. I mean, it just goes yep. on and on and on, Marsha. You have That's crazy. <laughs> really worked at so, you've worked in almost, have you worked in almost every state? Almost. Wow. I have never worked in Minneapolis. Interesting. Um, huh, okay. Uh, uh, and I've, ne- and the Guthrie, that's one of the theaters on my wish list that mm-hmm. I've never worked at. Huh. One of the major yeah. sort of, you know, founding regional theaters right. of our country. Yes. Um, but I have worked at Dallas Theater, I mean, at um, not Dallas Theater Center, Alley Theater, Alley Theater. in 
Houston, mm-hmm. which was also the home, you know, was founded by Margot Lyon and mm-hmm. Arena Stage, you know. Yes. Those are Selma big ones, Fitch, yeah. Those are yeah. The, the big those ones. Those are big ones. Yeah. And La Jolla Playhouse and Goodman Theater mm-hmm. and Repertory Theater of St. Louis. Like, a lot of really fine theaters around the country. But, yeah, I would say the one that I has escaped me all these years is the Guthrie oh. in Minneapolis. Well, you still have Minnesota. you still have time. So uh, I have a little time. Left. That's you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, like I said, I was looking through your list and, and I and I was having a hard time thinking of one you haven't worked at. And there you go, you've answered. But um, what have you learned about uh, in the regional arena? You know, in this regional world that you've been in, that is different from the work that you you know when you work. Also, uh, you've worked a lot in New York. Broadway and off Broadway. So, what's different? What, what what do you sense is different? You've talked a bit about each each area having sort of its own feel. That's one thing. But yeah. anything else? Um, it's a it's there's they're community based organizations. Mm. When you go to Cincinnati Playhouse, it is the Playhouse of Cincinnati. Mm. You know, it's a big city and it's the, a beloved cultural epicenter for the community. Mm. New York is a different animal, you know, it's, um, it's a destination for a lot of, uh, tourists. And, um, I got quite an education when I did ragtime on Broadway from Manny Eisenberg, one of our lead producers who talked to me about Broadway then Broadway now, and you know, ragtime tomorrow, it'll be 12 years since we opened on Broadway. So mm-hmm. a lot's happened in the last 12 years since mm-hmm. I worked on Broadway. And um, the biggest thing it, for me is that regional theater, the movement, was designed to make theater for communities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I did some stuff with Theater Works USA, which is a theater for young audiences that tours around schools and mm-hmm. um, performing arts centers in uh, towns coast to coast Mm -hmm. and a lot of what I learned you know came from doing shows with them I did Susical for them and I would get emails from my cast that they were performing in a gymatorium (laughs) in a small town in the south and everybody in the theater had never seen a live musical before oh that's amazing yeah in a way it is sort of like that kind of profound uh connection Mm-hmm. And telling stories to kids and teachers and parents who don't frequent the theater, that's been a very um, kind of deep um, mark in my career that I'm really, really proud of. Oh, as you should be. I mean, that's like being an ambassador for theater to places that may not have had the ability or the, the, the yeah. financial means. I mean, because, you know, not everyone can get to New York. It's expensive. Uh, it's hard. It's it's a long trip for people who live uh, in the middle of the country or in the south. Um, yep. So absolutely, that's wonderful. I'm glad that you think of it that way because I I think that's a I, I I agree. So let's talk a bit about ragtime since you brought it up and you know sure. uh, it is in a in, in a way uh, at least from a resume point of view probably a feather in your cap and um, it is um, you received the Tony Award. Uh, Nomination, nomination, right yeah. for directing for uh, the 2009 revival of Ragtime, and as you said, when you do a revival, you don't just want to repeat what was done before, right? I spoke to Eric Jordan Young a couple of oh, uh, you did, yes, yeah. a couple of uh, weeks ago, and he talked uh, about both productions since he was, I believe, the only one of the only cast members. He was the only part. cast member right. that was in the original production, and he spoke so and, highly of you and your um, uh-huh. your being. Uh, willing to listen and yet, you know, take things obviously in a new direction. Um, so talk to me about what you said earlier about you don't want to do it the same way. You don't want to do a replica. You want to do your own version. Talk about Ragtime and that journey in 2009 on Broadway. Um, it started at the Kennedy Center, right? started at the Kennedy Center. In fact, I was, um, I had done Seussical for Lynn and Steve, um, Theater Works USA, and I had also directed and choreographed a production of Once on this Island mm-hmm. for Bay Street Theater. And um, Lynn and Steve were very involved with that. In fact, they were um, eager to be part, you know, part of it and uh, were around during casting. And we had lots of conversations. Um, and they actually invited me to direct Seussical for Theater Works USA. And it was the first time they had licensed 
a property rather than grew it themselves. Yes. Um, Lynn and Steve actually launched their career at Theatre Works USA. A lot of wonderful writers did, and a lot of actors got their equity cards there. And they wrote, I think they wrote the Lorax or something for Theatre Works USA many, 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 many years ago. Yes. Anyway, that relationship began um, uh, around that time, my relationship with them. And uh, I was driving from Michigan to pit back home from Michigan with my husband and daughter, and the phone rang on I-80, and it was Lynn and Steve, very excited, saying, we want you to direct ragtime at the Kennedy Center. <laughs> and I was like, if I lose you, I'll call you back, because I had, like, really bad reception. And I, I lost them for a minute. I turned to my husband, and I said, you're not going to believe this. And... They called back and they said, we want you to direct Ragtime at the Kennedy Center. These are the dates. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I, you know, yes, but I have to go look at my calendar and I'll call you back. And it turned out I did have a booking that was a conflict. And it was the first time ever in my career I went to a regional theater artistic director, Ted Pappas, at the Pittsburgh Public Theater. And I said, I know I'm supposed to do this show for you in these dates, but I just got asked by Lynn and Steve to do Ragtime at the Kennedy Center. Is there any way I can do both? Is there any way you could change the dates? Mm-hmm. And he said, give me 24 hours. And he actually changed the dates for me. Oh, so lovely. I did, it was amazing. I did The World Goes Round, Candor and Ever Review, mm-hmm. at Pittsburgh Public Theater in um, January or early February, and my assistant, Josh Walding, flew to Pittsburgh, and while that show was in previews, we started our pre-pro for Ragtime in Pittsburgh, in the studio at the Public Theater. So, you know, it was like, it was, you you know, it was firing on all cylinders, you know what I mean? It was like, I was working, I was about to do this amazing show, and um I spent about a year in development with Derek McLean and mm-hmm. um, for the scenic design, and Don Holder was my is, was my lighting designer at the recommendation of Lynn and Steve and Terrence. They said we want you to work with Donald and Derek, and I was like, oh my gosh, you yeah, know. And we've I was interviewed like Derek. Out. Derek's been on this podcast as well. He's wonderful. Yes. Oh yeah, because yes. he's worked at Signature a lot yes, too. A lot. I know. Yes, he's wonderful. Um, so you had a great team. So they lifted me up you know they they you know I was I was definitely the one that kept saying I see this show a certain way I the storytelling needs to be non-literal and I want a very poetic environment and something that you know really will celebrate the turn of the 20th century architecturally but in a very suggestive way so and I saw the show vertically I said we have a class system in this country Mm. I want to exploit that idea I want to see how the different you know the lower middle upper class function and so that's really how it was born, and, and, and Michael Kaiser took a leap of faith with me. I mean, when Lynn and Steve and Terrence called them and called him and said, we want Marsha Milgram Dodge to direct and choreograph Ragtime, he was like, who the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, this was... And then, of course, I come to find that this was the first time in history that the Kennedy Center had hired a woman to direct and choreograph a major musical. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, we're going to definitely talk about that next. But so yeah, so so then there so, you are getting this this amazing opportunity uh, yeah. thanks to Lynn Aarons and Steve Flaherty, the the composers and 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 lyricists of of uh, Ragtime. So what tell us more so you get to the did you go you did the pre-production in in Pennsylvania. Well, I spent about I spent about nine months in New York with Derek and back and forth with meetings and design mm-hmm. development. Um, for the Kennedy Center, we rented the costumes from the original production. So uh, mm-hmm. the design was Santo Laquasto, but mm-hmm. I, I wasn't actually working with Santo directly for the Kennedy Center production. Um, and then lighting was brand new with Donald Holder. So scenic and lighting and everything. That was brand new conceptually. Costumes were the original. Mm-hmm. Um, that was okay by me because it was Santo Laquasto. Right. I mean, I, you know, oh, I don't usually want to work with somebody's package. Right. But 
um, it was presented to me. So, so at, once we landed, uh, and oh, and I met with Yale Doctorow a couple of times, and that Ooh. was unbelievable. Ooh, was that say. was just such a thrill. <laughs> That's and pretty cool. I went, yeah, I went down to meet him at um, NYU. He had an office down there hmm. in the writing department, and we had tea, and I showed him the model hmm. and told him my approach and what I wanted to do. And I asked him this question. I said, what's the fundamental difference between the novel and the musical? Hmm. And he said, the novel is naughty and impudent, and the musical is a sincere aesthetic event. Aha. And, and I you... said, okay, I'm going to get some naughty and impudence in there. Like, I am determined. You <laughs> so know what I mean? It, it was like, smuggle it yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, you in. know, when you read the book, it's right. really, I mean, it's, you know, it's mm. provocative. And right. there's some of the scenes with Evelyn Nesbitt and Emma Goldman. I mean, and the way mother and father, you know, mm-hmm. are intimate. I would use that word very lightly. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's really, you know, it is naughty and mm-hmm. it is impudent and it is sexy and it is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that I got that in there in mm-hmm. the storytelling. And with my cast, particularly my three leads with, with Quentin Darrington as Cole House and, and Mano Falciano in Washington as Tata and Christy and Noel as mother, I was really able to cultivate mm-hmm. humor and... Um, sexiness like Koha like Quinn was really sexy and and so was Mono so you know it was like and so when mother and father get together you know mother and Tata get together in the second act it's it's kind of hot it's right, kind well, of it sex, has to be you know because yeah, it changes her whole life but so yeah. um what did you get a chance to so you talked to to you know, Dr. O um and you had the Santo Locuasto costumes from the original. Did you get to uh, talk to Terrence McNally at all about the book? Oh, yes, very much. I mean, Terrence and Lynn and Steve were uh, my partners mm-hmm. in, in, in the journey. And um, after we opened in, in Washington and, you know, all that. The, the stuff of legends, right, is that all the producers start coming down to watch to see your show and there's buzz about moving it to Broadway. And, you know, my my role in the theater is rehearse, rehearse, re- prepare, 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 rehearse, 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 open the show, leave. Mm. That's what I do. I don't right. ha- I don't stick around. Well, you've got to go to your next so, your next assignment. I got to go to my next track. gig. Yeah. So you're moving. So all of a sudden, I hear all these people are coming down. Manny Eisenberg's coming down mm-hmm. to see the show, mm-hmm. and um, Tom Curtihy, um, Terrence's husband, mm-hmm. is bringing producers, and um, you know it was crazy. So opening night of the Kennedy Center, I, I went up to Doc Duro and I said, "How'd we do?" And he said, "Marsha." fucking brilliant so I, I was like i was like oh shit okay good. good and then the next day i'm you know on a train back to new york and then i get these emails that all these people are coming and my husband says you better go back down there so i went back down there and um before i did i had this meeting this interview with peter marks he came up to new york and he took me to lunch and we had an interview and I go back down to D.C. and I go check in at the, the River the river Inn or something right yes, by the theater. Not far from and the Kennedy Center. They're all talking. They're like whispering behind the desk. <laughs> and I said, what's happening? And they said, you, you're in the That's paper. Right. You took D.C. by storm. And I was on storm. the front page, That's the right. front page, yes. below the fold of the Washington Post. Congratulations. And it was the, the headline was something like, the rarest thing in musicals, the female director. Ah, okay, there we go. Well, I mean... And it was, yeah, they had sent a photographer to my apartment to take my picture, and it was wow. like, holy shit, we're on the front page of the Washington Post. That's great. Well, you know, D.C. is a great town because uh, there's such a level of interest in theater. There is such... At one point, the Helen Hayes Association, or the Helen Hayes is our awards, uh, the Theater of Washington had said that there are more people at one point, I don't think it's true anymore, more people in Washington area that go to the theater than go to sporting events. That's, oh, a, that's okay. I, yeah, I believe that. That's a huge, yeah. right? And so I think that's it's a huge. great yeah. place, and you're very smart. It's a great place to, 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 to try something out. Uh, to get yeah. a good audience that's smart that's going to tell you if something works or doesn't. And you were definitely, I remember, a hit 
in Washington at that time. Everyone was buzzing and talking about this ragtime at the Kennedy Center. And it was very different. So when you go to see it, you realize having, I haven't seen the, I saw the original uh, on Uh Broadway, having seen it and going, oh, wow, this is like a whole new, um, it felt like a whole new musical. So, so you've already given us some insight. So what else did you do? Was there, were there other things that you did other than add the the, the sexiness and the, the naughtiness into some of the characters. <laughs> well, interesting. The- this is interesting. I So when we got the word that we were moving and it was all very, you know, overwhelming and exciting, um, I sat with Lynn and Stephen Terrence and one day Terrence said to me, and this is like completely mind-blowing, he said, what, is there anything missing from the script? Mm. And I said, well, if you're really asking, <laughs> I have one. I have one thought. I said, the only characters who never make a connection, who ultimately become related, are younger brother and Tata. Mm. They share so much in that whole Lawrence, Massachusetts um, strike sequence, Mm. but they never met. And so what Terrence did was he wrote two lines. I think it's with two lines. And he gave... Tata and younger brother, a moment where Tata is rescued by younger brother, where little girl is about to be beaten up by the policeman, mm. and the little and younger brother says, "Have you no shame?" <laughs> Basically, mm. yeah. echoing you know, some politicians of of yore, um, <laughs> but basically grabbing Tata and the little girl and pushing them onto the train. Wow. So Terrence basically wrote a scene. Mm-hmm. Where younger brother saves Tata's life. Wow, and what a great thing! And that, that came you. out. That yeah. happened post Kennedy Center, and we added it in New York On the way for to the Broadway. Broadway. Yeah. Well, and I the mean, other thing we had to do was cut some stuff, like trim some stuff. It's because a big. It's a big show. The running time was still too long, so we trimmed some. We, you know, we made some internal trims mm-hmm. in Crime of the Century and in um, the Night. That Goldman spoke at mm-hmm. Union Square and um, some stuff in Atlantic City, but it was very nominal. Like you wouldn't notice it. Right. I mean, the purists obviously notice right. it, but but, not the but um, it didn't take away anything mm-hmm. from the narrative. Wow! And so then you get to yeah. New York um, with you know having consulted and worked with the the original creative creators with Terrence yep. McNally, Lynn Aarons, and and. And uh, Flaherty, and you get to New York, and Broadway is a whole other animal, right? I mean, you get to Broadway. Was yeah, it- everybody, it's really pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. You know, regional theater, I'm really spoiled. You know, nonprofit theater is very devoted. Yes, they want to sell tickets, and yes, sure. you know, they have to make money in order to put it back into the institution and and develop programs and do things that are not you know, necessarily populist. Mm -hmm. Um, But Broadway really is about butts in the seats and making money. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that pressure is really, it affects everybody. Because then you start to, when you don't see a full house, you start to pick on things. You start Mm -hmm. to, like, look at the stage and go, what are we doing wrong? Mm -hmm. Why aren't they coming? And, And I was very confident. I said, you know, I... I took charge. I ran that that room, and and I brought us in to the finish line, and I did the work that was meant to be. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I I, it, it, I this is where it all sort of falls apart and becomes bittersweet and heartbreaking. It's like mm-hmm. I don't know why there weren't enough butts in the seats. Right. Yeah, and it's funny when you and that's that's the trick with doing a revival of a show that was so seminal the first time, right? Uh, and, and people have a hard time maybe taking the original out of their head or do they go, oh, not again. Yeah, this. but think about who knows the original as well as you do. And that's right. theater. Those are theater. Theater folks. And I use this term affectionately. Those are theater queens. Yes. No, you know, you. of yes. all yes. races, shapes, sizes, yes. abilities. Yes. Theater people who yeah. are theater queens are the ones that 
are comparing it. Right. If you're if Correct. you're selling it with that in mind, then you're doomed. Yes. You can't. Absolutely. You can't no. do that. I don't think. And do you so think, we do had you... a very core group of passionate producers who worked their asses mm -hmm. off and tried so hard to get people to come to see the show. Mm -hmm. I think we also suffered a little bit from having a very difficult. How do you describe ragtime in one sentence yes. at the tickets booth? To some foreigners who are coming to New York to see one Broadway show, it is not a. Are they going to go show. see? A, yeah. yeah, are they going to go see an important musical, or are they going to go see Mamma Mia? Right. It's it's and also look at the time. You know, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. We were heading into a. We were in a major recession. Uh, the yeah. economy wasn't doing well. People suddenly don't have. A I lot blame of Obama. Yeah. If Michelle had brought the kids. <laughs> I had invited her. I invited her. I said it's an open rehearsal. You can come anytime. Yes. I invited Michelle and the kids and Grandma. I knew I knew mm -hmm. Barack was a little busy. It was his first hundred days right. when we were in Washington. But I said to the liaison at the Kennedy Center, "Get the women here. Mm -hmm. Get them here. Like somehow get them here." But they didn't come. Oh, you know. Yeah. And then you find out later, Ragtime is one of Barack Obama's favorite all-time books. Well, you would think so. It I would was be. like, yeah. "Yeah, I would have thought they would have come." Yeah, so really you know, come. I think that would have helped us. Sure, obviously. it would get you, get you and, some publicity uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it a difficult, and it's such a big show, and it's expensive to keep it running. It's, it's, you know, yeah, and and it, because when you once you get to the for-profit world of, of Broadway, it's a whole other ball game, and yeah. it gets very, very difficult. But you had a. Uh, uh, you know, a, a very respectful run and a very um, recognized run by the Tony Award. I would say we had a we had a eleven weeks. We had a very sad little run uh, right. in well, the scheme of things. You would want, but more, we were right. remembered come Tony time That's, because we got seven nominations. Right, and that, that must was, have felt good. That felt amazing, right. and um, that I mean, that was just ridiculous. I was working, I was doing a show in California. I was at Reprise Theater Company doing How to Succeed in Business. Mm. And my husband called me at five o'clock in the morning and said, you just got nominated for Tony. I mean, it was like unbelievable. Wow. And so now's the time, yeah. I think. Now's the time to talk about this. As we're talking about your, I want to talk about your Tony nomination, not so much just for you, your sake, but to talk a bit, a bit, about, a bit about your career. You've established yourself I think, as one of the most preeminent and prominent female director choreographers of musical theater in the United States. I will say that very mm. confidently having looked at your resume. I know you also direct plays so and new works, so that's a whole other category. But there, Marsha, there aren't many women doing this kind of work that you're doing consistently. Here's who I think of. Graciela Danielle, mm -hmm. Susan Stroman. And I can't think of anyone else. I may be remiss, but that's where it stops. Mm. Director choreographers. Both. Director choreographers. Not just choreographers. Yeah. You know, women choreographers. We, we do have a, a lot, lot of women choreographers. Yeah. And a few directors. Yeah. A few directors that yeah. have, you know, the, the Tamors and the, you know, that have, have come in, but they don't Rachel, quite. Rachel. Yeah. Yeah, yes, Rachel. But you do both. And why yeah. is it that there aren't more women in our in our theater that are doing that why do you think that is what can we do to encourage uh young women to take on that dual they don't seem to be uh, given the opportunity maybe i don't know on the do well, to take the dual at, leadership there's role. lauren lataro my gosh uh, i don't know i think she's, she's got she's got there's got to be clones of her because she's opening like five shows in New York right now. I don't even know how she I, can possibly. I went do to it. school with one of her associates, oh, you, uh, Matt. Oh, you did, Matt. Yeah, Steffen. I mean she's yeah. fantastic, yeah. and she's um, directing. Yeah. Uh, you know, she she has a relationship with Bucks County Playhouse, and she's she's heading uh, there. Yeah, directed some shows, and she's about to do something that she's directing as well. But she's got like three or four, you know, big you know, brand new musicals yeah. that she's choreographing. So I think Lauren's somebody to keep an eye on. But, um, I, I mean, that's very, that's very kind. I think I have a very, I mean, I, I am the girl who can't say no. I will take anything and then sort of freak out and go, what did I just say yes to? And then figure out a way to make it the most important, the, the rightest decision I ever made about anything. Um, <laughs> And I and I don't get asked to do plays as much as I would like to. Although recently I've done Cat on a Tin Roof mm -hmm. and the regional premiere of The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, um, and um, I, and I've done a fair amount of new work. But um, 
I'm a kind, I, 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 I'm lucky. I'm really lucky. And I'm, and I'll walk into a room, I'll find a direct, an artistic director of a theater I've never worked at. And I'll, I'll hunt them down and say, <laughs> I want to work at your theater. And thankfully people like Jason Lois said, great, come work for me. And Andrew Cato said, great, come work for me down at Malt Stupider Theater. And so, I mean, I'm not shy, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I guess my best advice is don't be shy and, and direct everything. Right. Like do everything, like mm-hmm. try to do everything. And it's, it's going to be harder now. You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 66 years old. I've been doing this for 40 years mm-hmm. and I'm white and yeah. I'm a woman. Yeah. And you know, there are a lot of exciting young women and men of color coming up and having store and you know mm-hmm. wanting to tell stories about other cultures mm-hmm. i i you know hope i can continue doing this for another you know i, I really don't want to stop i can't even put a time limit on oh, it i'm saying nor, nor should you Things nor like, should you stop you know Absolutely. what i mean yeah, i just keep, want to keep doing it keep doing because it. i love it so much and yeah. and i i choreograph and sometimes i don't choreograph mm-hmm. sometimes uh, my longtime associate, Josh Walden, who did Beauty and the Beast with me, who's done a remarkable job on that show. Mm-hmm. And we work at the Muni together, and we co-choreographed Mary Poppins recently mm-hmm. at Drury Lane Theater in Chicago. So, I mean, I'll bring Josh on to do the heavy lifting or um, mm-hmm. uh, meet other choreographers for, for other projects that come up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love to choreograph. I still do. I mean, I choreographed a bunch of stuff in... Beauty and the Beast, you know, yes. not the big, huge dances, mm-hmm. but I did all the yeah. the other small, the duets, the trios, the reprises, the mob songs, things mm-hmm. like that. So, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to stop doing it. I, I love doing it, mm-hmm. and so um, I don't know. I guess I, I forgot the question now, but I no, think it's the, fine. You've answered I think it. you were saying, how do you, <laughs> how do you do it? Right. And it's sort of like I just throw myself out Into there, yeah. and um, I try to do the best work I can do and, and hope that I get invited back. I guess it's, you know, the, that's the thing. The freelance thing mm-hmm. is I can't, I don't, you know, I don't have a five year plan because I don't, I don't get to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't get to make those decisions. I get, mm-hmm. I'm at the mercy of, you know, Cincinnati is going to do this and they think I'm right for it mm-hmm. or, um, that, that kind of thing. So let's um, talk. So I am. I am working on some new stuff, like writing. My husband and I are mm. co-writing a new, yes. a new project, and mm. um, and uh, he's a playwright, and I would love more than anything to direct a couple of his plays that I think are really exciting. Mm. And um, so you know, we're just we just kick, we just keep kicking. Okay. I uh, over the over the uh, pand over last year with the shutdown. Um, a colleague of mine relocated to Portland, Oregon, and he called me and he said, I'm now running a classical radio station and I want to take your Sherlock Holmes and the West End Horror play and turn it into a radio play. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm ready. So I'd spent, you know, a couple of months Mm. retooling the play and getting it ready for a broadcast, which was so exciting because we had done the play in early 2000s, we got a Mystery White Writers of America Edgar Award nomination for Best Play, and then nobody produced it. It was weird. It was like we did a couple productions of it at a couple at three major regional theaters, and then and then it kind of trickled away. And so when my friend Matt called and said that I want to reinvigorate it, we were like, that was so exciting. Mm-hmm. And they broadcast it over two weekends out there, um, and it reached. They said it reached across the oceans, so people were listening to our play in Australia and Italy and all sorts of places. That's the thing. So that was exciting. That's the that exciting really thing about exciting. about going, you know, digital or going online or going mm-hmm. that, that you can you can expand a global reach. So I wanted to dig a little deeper into this director choreographer, um, the two sides of the coin for you, uh, because yeah. how do you? Because you just described it. You know, you're now working on this. Um, wonderful new revival of Beauty and the Beast at Olney Theater yeah. right outside of Washington, D.C., for those who are listening and that may not know. Um, but um, you, um, 
you, and, you, and you're talking about your experience as a director, your experience as a choreographer. Sometimes you do both. Sometimes you just do one. Um, how did you sort of get your start? Did you start as a choreographer and then sort of morph into the... So I guess maybe that's part of the unlocking the key of that question. How do young women, yeah. how do young women take that step to go, okay, I'm going to not just choreograph, I'm also going to direct. When do you make that leap? So how did you make that leap? Um, well... I was choreographing, and I was choreographing at major regional theaters. I mean, I got hired to choreograph on the town mm-hmm. at Arena Stage. Yes. 1989. Some of us were young young adults or teenagers when we saw that production, and it changed our lives. Well, uh, are <laughs> I'm you talking sweet, in, but, I'm talking in plural, but, but it's me. Well, I'm telling you that Doug Wager, who yes. directed that production, had never seen my work. Oh, What? Okay, yeah. how did that happen? Because first okay, of all, that was a brilliant, so, brilliantly put together production. Thank you. It was passion. It was passion, 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 and me being invited because of I had just choreographed uh, Guys and Dolls for Greg Boyd at Stage West mm. in Springfield, Massachusetts, yeah. and Benita Hofstetter was working there, and Benita and I had gone to college together, and Benita gave my uh the playbill from either she loves me she had seen in baltimore to greg and that's why he hired me Mm. because at that time regional theater wasn't doing a lot of musicals the only theater that did a musical before 1989 was the guthrie Mm. they did guys and dolls i think in like 86 or 87 Mm. and all of a sudden regional theaters said oh we could do musicals and make a lot of money. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Jason Loeth said that their their holiday show sometimes can gross a million dollars. And Jason Loeth is the so, artistic director. Is the, of the artistic only director at the the Only Theater Center. Yeah. So back in '89, mm-hmm. you know, making I'm sure five hundred thousand dollars on a musical, or mm-hmm. even two hundred thousand dollars on a musical. I have no idea because I don't really know the, the money the side numbers. of it. Right, yeah. But back in 89, somebody said, oh my gosh, we need to do musicals. They're just as classic as mm-hmm. Chekhov and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, Neil Simon or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like, let's do classic musicals. Mm-hmm. So that's when Arena Stage started to do, they did, I think they did, Animal Crackers or something was I like the first that. musical they ever yeah. did at Arena Stage yeah. that Doug directed mm-hmm. and Byork Lee choreographed. Yes, I was going to mention Byork earlier because she's another yeah, one. Yeah, well, she's fantastic. Yes. So totally. somehow my, you know, I had done a few things by then. I had done Closer Than Ever off Broadway mm-hmm. and I had done Romance in Hard Times at the Public, Bill mm-hmm. Finn's ill-fated musical. Mm-hmm. And I was a choreographer that, that, uh, Ira Weitzman from Playwrights Horizons would get calls a lot of times from regional theater directors looking for choreographers. And so Ira was like my unofficial agent for a couple of shows. (laughs) And strangely enough, I've never worked. I worked once at Playwrights Horizons, but only once. And, um, but my resume landed on Doug Wager's desk at the right time. And I got a call, come down to Washington. So I came down to Washington. I, it was the old arena stage. I, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen the new renovation. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is when they rehearsed in a in a in a, a garage underneath the the mall or something. It was mm-hmm. crazy. Anyway, I met with Doug. We talked for three hours. We had lunch. We talked about the show. We didn't. I didn't dance. I didn't do any steps. And he hired me. Wow. And it changed my life. I mean, I was choreographing Bernstein ballets. Hmm. It was unbelievable. And I worked with um, Zach Brown, who did the sets and costumes, Hmm. and Alan Lee Hughes lit it. Hmm. And it was a very gorgeous production. And we we cast in New York. I remember Jay Binder was our casting director. And we were... You know, I had Valerie Wright as um, Ivy, and mm-hmm. Paul Bonato was Gaby, mm-hmm. and we just had this gorgeous young John Shearer, who's one of my dearest friends. He was um, Chip, and we've been we've done a dozen or more shows together since. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was just a really 
beautiful artistic journey. I think I had six weeks of rehearsal, Stefan. Wow. Stefan. Yeah. Well, I had six weeks in the studio. That's, and nobody does that. Well, and it's a great it's a great yeah. looking back now, I didn't know at the time, but looking back and having seen your work now, it's a great show for you because it is such a theatrical storytelling choreography that you have to do. It yeah. is the, the line between director and choreographer in that show has to be so blurred. You two have to work yeah, so well, closely. Doug and together. I really yeah, we found our we found our way mm-hmm. because yeah. he he really wanted this one particular person for one role and I was like, that person can't dance. You mm-hmm. can't have that person. Yeah. I need a person who can dance. And so it was really it was, you know, and I was tough. I was like, no, I this is <laughs> I can't I can't bend here just the same way the music director was like, I really want so-and-so and and I'm, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, nope, they can't dance. You can't have them. Mm -hmm. So I was very tough about it because the other thing where I really got a lot of what my sort of uh, visual aesthetic, it came from working in the round because Mm -hmm. the round is a place where you can only have what's essential. You can't, you can't have, you know, lots of architecture and mm-hmm. scene changes and you can have elements, but you can't have fully realized literal scenery. And it was so liberating to me as a creative thinker because I was like, I never want to do shows where the scenery isn't, a, you know, I want it to be effective and it's essential and it's important, but I don't want it to be what it's about. I want mm-hmm. it to be about people. Mm-hmm. I always want to make sure my people, my cast, my characters are the ones being embraced in the world of scenery and costumes and props and lighting. Did so, you, did you, you know, ever talk the round with, is a beautiful place to work. Yes. I just adore it. Did you ever talk with Doug about your interest in being a director at that point? Or was it too early or were you still exploring? So when did you start to say, okay, I, I, I think I want to do this whole thing now? Um, no, I never talked about it with Doug, but I was a really, I was a really keen collaborator. I mean, he let me in. Mm -hmm. So I was in on all the costume meetings, all the lighting meetings, Mm -hmm. all the set design meetings. It wasn't like, here's what we're going to do, Marsha, make it work. You know, Mm -hmm. like I was never an afterthought. I was Mm -hmm. always part of the core team. And that was thrilling to me. Um, it wasn't until several years later, I was actually, um, uh, invited to direct and choreograph a production of Ain't Misbehavin', which mm. seemed like a really natural progression for a choreographer. Mm-hmm. That show, you know, originally was Richard Malpe who conceived it mm-hmm. and um, Arthur Faria who choreographed it. But I remember seeing the original production and just being completely knocked out mm. by the choreography of five formidable leading players. Yes, yes. Right? We've had- They're not... Yeah, We've, and I mean... Yeah. Um, We've you talked know, to Ken Page on this um, podcast oh gosh, as well. Page. And that was yeah, just who I quite adore a, quite and Andre. A, yeah, and yeah. my dear friend Eric Riley from Michigan was Andre's standby on Broadway. Uh, so I've had a relationship Michigan with that connection. show for Yeah, and you've done that show in so yeah. many different venues yeah. and places. You've, you've really directed that show now and choreographed the show several times. Yeah, I have. And, so it's become your and the big thing for me and my initial collaborators on that show were Jim Noon, set design, and Kenny Posner, lighting mm. design. And I remember having meetings in my apartment. And, you know, I had done all this research and uh, studied rent parties in Harlem in the mm. early part of, you know, in the 30s and, and how um, Gershwin would go up to Harlem and and go to these rent parties and listen to music and how it was really people had rent parties because they they would have Fats Waller playing at this rent party so you'd pay a dollar and you'd go in and get to hear Fats Waller and the person who was throwing the party would would make their rent so I set the show in a rent party mm-hmm. and at every theater I worked at I also engaged three extras who I called folks in the neighborhood and they became the waiters, the, the, and I made everybody like relatives, like these are your Mm -hmm. nieces and one of, and the boy's going to be a bartender and the two girls are going to learn how to be sassy and watch the women sing, find out what they like and how they like it Mm -hmm. and and learn how to be sassy. Yeah. Yeah. And so I sort of wanted to create 
this neighborhood of 134th Street and, um, uh, you know, up in Harlem and and, the, and on Broadway or Lenox Avenue. And it was and it was very exciting. And we developed it at Virginia Stage Company. And then I got to do it in, like, as I say, 10 other regional theaters. And it just happened to, you know, be the show that taught me how to be a director because I had to conceive the production mm -hmm. on not on my own, but with a great team of designers. Yeah, the lead. Yeah. Um, but I had to lead it. You know, it wasn't like being in the room with Doug and, and responding to somebody's idea. It was having others respond to my ideas and figure out how to make them make sense or shift. And I remember Kenny came up with some staging idea and I came up with a lighting idea. And it was like, it was one of the most exciting, you know, collaborations that I've had. Um, in a, you know, in my career, it was really treasured, and I got to do it in so many different places with some amazing actors. And last summer, <clears throat> the last time I did the show was at Bay Street Theater in 2008, mm. and I gathered the, the cast together last summer. We did a, I did a series for them called Backstage with MMD, and I <laughs> did a, a reunion of a couple cast members of every show I ever did at Bay Street Theater. Oh, wow. And there were eight, eight shows that I did over the course of nice. um, 10 or 12 years, including a show with Dame Julie Andrews, Ooh. who came and, yeah, it was amazing. She came, <laughs> we did this whole, she cool. was my finale. I was like, uh, Julie, yeah. will you do this? And she was like, yes, I'll do this for you. Oh, so it was wow. very sweet. Well, that but, must have been special. Um, That's great. Yeah, it was really special. Mm. But Amos Behaven was really special, especially to gather the, mm. the company last summer during the height of... Um, Black Lives Matter and, sure. you know, really sort of examining would I even have the opportunity to do that show today? And honestly, probably not. Hmm. Right. So times have changed. There's a different, mm -hmm. um, just as you were and have been a pioneer in a way, in many ways for, for women uh, as a director, choreographer going out there when there weren't that many um, doing that. Now there's other voices, as you said, coming through. And so since we're talking yes. about other voices and we're, we're actually, it's been so great. I've didn't even look at the clock and now we're 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 heading towards the the you know running out of time but before okay. we run out of time we have to talk since we're talking about different voices and giving a a, a room for others you know to, to be seen on stage you have just directed a production of disney's beauty and the beast for only theater center another well-known regional theater right outside of washington dc this isn't though your typical production of beauty and the beast is it um, nope. uh, especially when it comes to the casting. Talk to us a bit about who is playing Belle and who's playing the Beast and why that matters to you and why did you make those casting choices? Well, I made the casting choices because when Jason said, would you do Beauty and the Beast? And I said, you're asking me to do Beauty and the Beast? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, then you know I'm going to go digging. You're smuggling. And he said, yes, I know. I'm going to go smuggling. I'm going <laughs> to smuggle. And so one of the first things when I read the script, and I mean, I was familiar with the animated feature from 1991. I did see the Broadway show once. Um, but it wasn't, you know, I mean, it, and my daughter was four when it came out on Broadway. So she mm. kind of got scared by the Enchantress and never saw the whole show. Right. Um, uh, I thought, okay, how do I, how, well, how do I do this? How do I get into this? And so the first conversations I had with Jason and with Chris Eustra, who's the um, director of musical theater at Only, was, okay, I'm going to find a way to tell this story meaningfully for a contemporary audience. And part of that is I want to make sure kids of all ages are represented in this story. Hmm. And so the first casting idea was my when I told my husband Beauty and the Beast, we, he said Jay Jones, and I said, I'm on it. Hmm. Honestly, that's how quick it was. It was like there, there wasn't even a blink of an eye. There wasn't even a, what, you know, it was like Jade. We have to get Jade. And I had met Jade, and get, I'd given her her first job in in 
at the Ford's Theater on 110 in the Shade. Yes. And I had cast her from a video. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't even meet her until the first day of rehearsal. Now, um, Jade Jones is a self, like how she self identifies as, as a, a, a queer plus size uh, woman of color, right? I guess that's how. That's right. For those that's right. who may not know. Yes. Um, and so yes. you are totally reinventing Belle um, and, yep. and really breaking open the stereotype of what a Disney. Uh, princess, you know, Belle in and of herself was already considered um, a breakthrough back then, right? Because she liked books and she liked to read and she was smart and da 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 da. But now you've I taken know. her to the whole new, <laughs> a whole new. Place. Yeah, but there's some stuff in this show now when and uh, when she's in scenes with Evan Ruggiero who plays the Beast, and that casting was also very um, conscious, meaning. I read the script and I thought, why is this poor, why is this prince unkind? Why is this prince, uh, you know, obnoxious and mean to this old woman who's just trying to give this boy a flower? And so all of a sudden it dawned on me that this prince was living in a castle with no parents and being raised by, you know, these, these servants who were now becoming um, objects. And I thought, what is the inciting incident for this whole thing? And I thought, maybe there was some tragedy that took the parents away and left this prince with one leg. Mm, And I was immediately drawn to Evan Ruggiero, who Mm. I had been keeping an eye on and thinking, Mm. how am I going to work with this guy? He's (laughs) phenomenal. He's a... He lost his uh, part of his leg to cancer at 19 and immediately got a peg and started tap dancing again. I mean, he was a tap dancer and then lost his leg, and he's still a tap dancer. And then I saw that he was in a musical version of Tom Jones off-Broadway, so I said, oh, my gosh, he sings. This is great. So I stalked him on YouTube, and I, and I listened to him and found all this stuff, and we invited him to audition, and we met him in New York on March... 10th 2020 oh my gosh right before it all happened the pandemic. and we had just gotten sort of the like the news was saying don't shake hands with people don't mm-hmm. get too close yeah. whatever but we were at pearl studios he walked in i gave him a big hug Eustra was on the keyboard josh walden was there with me and another woman who was helping us and we auditioned evan in this tiny little room at pearl studios and I called Jason afterward and said, we're hiring him. He's mm. going to be great. He's our beast. So He's you, our beast. So, and so I, yeah. So just with Go this ahead. casting, you have really turned the piece in a way, uh, you know, you've turned it into something for 20 uh, 21 into 2022. Uh, it's, yep. it's new, it's vibrant, exciting. The Washington Post says it exudes complexity and realness without sacrificing comic pizzazz. I thought that was a really good Oh, uh, that is um, good. Line. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, I think that that it's interesting that you are able to mine from this, and this goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of the interview. You're able to sort of take an old classic at this point. I guess Disney's Beauty and the Beast has been become one of those and, and, mm-hmm. and give it a new spin, right? And give yeah. it something new. If you're going to do it, then you're going to smuggle in some meaning. You're going to find what it is that matters for now and today. And you've absolutely brilliantly, I think, just with that casting move, done that and and you've worked with josh right walden on this as well he's oh yeah yeah he's fantastic yeah, yeah we both of you together. we also leaned into the toxic masculinity of gaston and <laughs> and we leaned into his jockness yeah as opposed to his hunter prowess ah. uh it wasn't lost on us after the capital insurrection that antlers would be a very scary image on our stage absolutely and we backed off on it with Mm. any kind of antler themed Ah. uh cavern for gaston we went a very different way and we also modified the antlers of the beast which are usually um horns that go up Mm-hmm. And we, with the Avanya Stack, my costume designer, we were very careful. That's why I say it's important to know your audience what's and happening. your the context yeah. and what's happening in the world. Yeah. Because, you know, every every script I open, I, I have to read it for today. Mm-hmm. And if you, t- if you make it meaningful for today, you're not, 
you're not changing anything. You're just being mindful and you're being um, accountable for storytelling in a in a very volatile world that we're living in right now. We're also coming back. This is the first show back for many of our actors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Josh and I, this was our third show. Mm-hmm. So we were like, yeah, we're in the rehearsal room. This is where we're doing it. The mm-hmm. only different thing is we're wearing masks and sticking swabs up our nose <laughs> twice a week. But we're doing it. You yeah, know, we're back doing up. it. And yeah. Yeah, we, we were warmed up. We had a couple shows under our belt. Mm-hmm. and But many in this company were doing it for the very first time. And so we're navigating all those, you know, emotions and all those, you know, ways of doing things. And there's so much going on mm-hmm. with the way we make theater and how we, you know, we do 10 out of 12 rehearsals and mm-hmm. those long days and long nights and what that does to people. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. Yeah. There's a lot it's a going on. Time. It's a it's a transition. Right, but time. it but the most important thing is that we're telling a, a phenomenal tr- story that has classic underpinnings, and no one's feeling cheated about it. Everyone's embracing it. The audience is losing their mind. Yes. I saw a yeah. little girl and her mother, both black, almost scream out. When, when Jade made her appearance mm. and the little girl went, is that Belle? Like with yeah. the sense that she was up there on stage mm. with her. Yeah, that she was, you know, that yeah. she was seeing herself. I saw a man in the audience in a wheelchair. And mm. I thought, I, w- I hope he's experiencing the show the way that, you know, Evan and I hope he will, which mm-hmm. is that he can do anything, wheelchair or not. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So abilities... Size. Uh, we have a non-binary actor playing the enchantress. I've got some uh, women playing male roles for various reasons. But we're a, a very multicultural company. We have a very strong um, mixed race company. So mm-hmm. you're gonna, you know, you'll see that right away when you mm-hmm. when the curtain goes up on the ensemble. And you know, it's thrilling. This is Potts is black. Chip is black. Um, you know. Yeah. Well, it's really a black. great a great um, way to do this production, particularly in the Washington D.C. area, which is also very multicultural and very yeah. diverse. You are reflecting, as you said earlier, the community in which you are presenting the show, and so that's also you've 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 stuck to your your moniker of you know you've you've stayed true to yourself with that as well. So audiences are going nuts. The word of mouth on this show, Marsha, is I've never I have not seen anything like it in a long time in DC. It's all over the social media. It's all over everywhere. So whatever critics say and all the reviews haven't come out yet, but it doesn't really matter because the audiences are excited and thrilled and thrilled. So for tickets to Disney's Beauty and the Beast at Olney Theater Center, people just have to go to Olney Theater org. The show runs until January 2nd, 2022. Don't miss it, guys. Um, folks, go before. Get your tickets now. We're, I think it's going to sell out uh, very quickly. So I think people need to get on, on the internet and, and get those tickets soon. Um, so let's talk quickly. We've, we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to quickly okay. touch base too, because I wanted people to have a way to get updated on what you're working on, where they can go, your website, social media, etc. But before we you, you close with that, I wanted to also not forget that people that want to see you on the small screen can too. Uh, you yes. are, uh, I saw you out of uh, one day out of just sheer luck. I turned on uh, my Disney Plus subscription and with Kristen Bell, I saw you on Encore, uh, tried to direct a group of adults in their first uh, coming back to doing Annie from high school. It's a wonderful yeah. show called Encore on Disney Plus. People need to check that out. What a fun show. And you've done a few episodes, right? Two, I did I two episodes, yes. yeah. From the sub, from the ridiculous to the sublime, or vice versa, I did Annie, and then I did Ragtime, and yeah, it was crazy. And the Annie company had been out of school for like twenty years. That episode was so. And good. so it's the there first was episode. a lot of drama. Yeah, it's there was the very first. Drama. It's the very first episode, and there you are yep. directing these people. And I just, I had so much fun watching it. So I, I just a shout out. I want people to be able to see that on Disney. Plus and, and, and stream it, and I hope they bring you back to do a few more. I hope they do more. Well, we're I haven't found out if we're doing a season two. It's really oh, it's our, yeah. We gotta like, you gotta write to Disney Plus and say you want more encore because I, I just think it's yes. a you know the show is 
you know, for theater folk, it's really inside. But for people who appreciate theater but don't make their life's work the theater, it is so uplifting and so gratifying. I mean, I was crying at every every episode. Yeah, it is very emotional. It's just the reunion factor Mm -hmm. and these people coming together. One of the casts, I think it was, um, they were, they had, were out of school 40 years. Oh and they were gosh. coming back to do their show. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it it's cra- you know, emotional. Yeah. really exciting. It's so you can see me show. on the small screen. Yes, you can see me on. <laughs> well, if on people want to see you, Plus. if people, you know, because here we are talking on this podcast, and you can talk about directing all you want, but it's nice to see you in action. So that's one yeah, way people can thanks. sort of get a little, little tiny. It's very little of what you do, but it's a little bit of what you do in action there on the screen, so they can see how you work with the actors and how you get stuff out of them, even though they're not professional in this case. But <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. So if people want to stay updated, Marsha. On you, on everything about what I, you know, MMD, Marsha Milgram Dog. MMDNY is my um, Instagram okay, at MMDNY, okay. and then I also have a Facebook page which I keep as a as a professional page, and that's MMD Director. Wonderful. So people need Facebook. to need to go on yeah. Facebook and Instagram to follow you and to find yeah. out because they want to keep track of the next show because you know you're always moving. There'll be a next show, and but right now it's Beauty and the Beast at Olney Theater Center. Just go to Olney Theater. Org. The show runs until January 2nd. Guys, get your tickets as soon as you can. Marsha, it's been wonderful having you on American Theater Artists Online. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Same here. Okay. Bye. Bye, Stefan. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the American Theater Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.